0: Welcome to the Parenting Unique Children podcast with your hosts, Randy and Renata. All right, on today's episode, we are going to start talking about helicopter parenting.
1: Yay!
0: Um, we were just discussing actually that we think it's probably going to be more than one parter. Yeah. So feel free to drop us some comments too, uh, and we can share those on next time we do another part of helicopter parenting. Yes. Uh, the other thing that we were just talking about, which is kind of interesting, especially for this topic, is I don't consider myself to be much of a helicopter parent.
1: And I know that I was, I know that I was, yeah, yeah, yeah when my son was younger. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> now, not to say there's, there's certain times that I feel sometimes like maybe helicopterish, and then I try to catch myself be like, mm, no, she's a big girl. But for the most part, I don't think I, I don't think
1: I have been so far. And I don't plan to start being Well, I have been, and I can admit it, after years of therapy, just kidding, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So Uh. this should be a pretty interesting topic. So of
0: course, we are going to share research, not just our lovely life stories, although those are so much fun, I know. Um, But we're going to share some research too. All right. So the first um, article that I'd love to say we found, but again, I don't do
1: that right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <or not. laughs> um, i love her so much i found a few and i kind of like yeah i mushed together the if it fit i mush, i mushed some research together but anyway um yeah it's from parents.com or parents magazine and um i specifically looked for the term helicopter parent and like when it was first used and it was in 1969 which you
0: know, is so sorry I'm i know
1: i didn't know that 1969 but it wasn't until 2011 that it was actually put in the dictionary and i didn't even realize it was actually in the
0: dictionary yeah. i thought it was just like a term people use like a yeah, slang a sort of term yeah kind of a,
1: yeah yeah so um that was really interesting to me anyway dr haim or haim um Jeannot's book parents and teenagers he actually teens that he was talking to coined the term and they were referring to their parents who would hover over them like a helicopter.
0: Oh, so it was actually the teens that did that. Yeah. It. That's really interesting. Yeah, like, right?
1: The cat might knock over your coffee again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we were just downstairs in our actual, like, office area, uh, and the dog had knocked Renata's coffee down, so we've now come up to the, the cat room where we were last time. I've learned a so lesson. <laughs> and
1: the one cat is getting <laughs>
0: awful close to the yeah. coffee
1: again. Uh, we died. What's his name? Neo. And he's got three legs. He's so cute. Yes.
0: Because no matter, and this is, you know, in life, no matter what the disability might be, everyone deserves to be loved. Mm-hmm. Even cute little adorable kitty cats. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, back to helicopter parenting. Um, did you want to continue what you were saying as
1: I interrupted um, you rudely? Um, so helicopter parenting, what does it mean? It just, uh, I think we all probably know, we all probably know like the, the pejorative or the negative um, reference to it. It is a style of parenting who are uh, over-focused on their children. And I
0: think we said this before with the Bad Parenting Podcast, right, where you have to have your own life. Yes. A lot of, and this is maybe presumptuous of me, but a lot of helicopter parents that I've seen, helicoptering, um, they don't seem to have their own life. They're their life is their child, yeah. yeah. right? So those two things kind of go hand in hand,
1: it seems. Uh, yep. I think that as as we go through this research, um, a lot of what we said in our last Uh, podcast episode is sort of confirmed yeah yeah I think so this is a bunch of professionals though saying it (laughs) yeah not just us not just
0: us (laughs) um man sometimes I wish I was a professional seems like I'd make a lot more money (laughs) (laughs) other than our free podcast yeah but I love it it's so much fun anyways um so the author of Anxiety Disorders, the go-to guide, which is a really awesome name of a book. I, think. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, it was... Carolyn... I don't know how to say her last Carolyn name. Carolyn D- uh She's got a PhD. Anyway, she says that they typically take too much responsibility for their children's experiences
1: and specifically their successes or failures. They're the type of parents who would be... Super quiet. You would never hear of a, in quotation mark, failure of their children. Um, but they would be super exuberant about their perceived successes. Yeah. You would hear everything about. Yeah. And
0: my guess is that they would be that parent. Somebody's home. I can hear the dog. I don't know if you guys can. I can. Um, but... They would be the parent that we talked about before that would say we did this, yes, and taking control of their like being part yep. of their child's successes, yeah. Which we, we've already talked about that. So if you missed that, go back to the bad parenting. I think that was in part two. I, I think might it be was wrong. Yeah. So just listen to all of it. <laughs> <laughs> listen um,
1: to all of it because we're awesome. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um. But yeah, those are the parents that are. Look at what we won. Look at what we did. No, your child did that, not we.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Want to keep going? Um. Oh, yeah. kitty cat, that hurts. <laughs> um. So the author of Even June Cleaver Would Forget the Juice Box, which I love <laughs> that title. Yeah, it's I'm gonna cool. find this book. Um, calls it overparenting, and this is Anne Dunswald, PhD, licensed psychologist. So by overparenting she means being involved in a child's life in a way that's over controlling, overprotecting, and over perfecting. In a way that is in excess of responsible parenting, which is more of what we've been saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So a lot of a lot of this stuff rings very, very true. My mom's gonna talk. We're gonna pause for a sec, guy. Okay, sorry about that quick pause, but now we're back. Um, yeah, so it's all about over right all of those words is over so it's too much of everything right not letting the kids be able to figure out stuff for themselves yeah which is a really important skill that actually me and my husband this morning when we're walking the dogs um we were having this conversation about how at no matter what age for our youngest which is the one with autism we always would ask her well how could you solve that problem You know, she didn't always have to run an answer Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. a logical answer. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it'd be like, "I could turn back time." (laughs) Well, no. So now we'll give you the real answer, (laughs) or something you can do. Um, but I'm just gonna shut the door. Okay. The dogs are super loud. All right. Um, but at least we would give her the chance to try and figure it out for herself. So now that she's 12, she's more able to come up with a way to solve the problem. So for instance, um, she really wants to get integrated into the grade 7-8 class. Mm-hmm. Like really badly wants to get integrated because she's been in the small class forever now um, at multiple different schools. So she really wants to go to the integrated class. And last night we were walking the dogs together, mm-hmm, her and mm-hmm, I. Mm-hmm. And she was so helpful with it too. It was really great. Um... And I said to her, okay, well, that's fine if you want to get integrated. I will talk to the school if that's something you want to do. But what about the times when your class is doing something that you don't do? So, for instance, she's been exempt from French since grade four mm-hmm. um, when she would have started French. They did try. She did try to do French, but it was just, it was too overwhelming. She struggles enough with English yeah. that trying to learn French was just, it was too much. Um, it was very overwhelming, the class and all that. So she was exempt from it. Well, there's no way in grade seven now she can just jump into the grade seven French class. Yeah. So, I said, so what are you going to do during that time? And she actually, she thought for a second. And she says, well, then I can go to the special needs class during that time. I was like, that's perfect.
1: That's great. Right? That's a
0: great way to problem solve. Is then she can go back to the other class where it's smaller. She can take her break, that kind of thing. So... Giving kids a chance, even if they have neurodiversity, doesn't mean that you're not going to come up with an answer. Give them a chance. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I always see people or, or, like, see posts or hear people say, just because a kid is nonverbal doesn't mean they don't hear you. Right. It doesn't mean they don't have anything to say. Granted, my child, she's completely verbal but the sentiment is there. Just because it seems like she might not have the answer doesn't mean that she doesn't give in the chance to think of one
1: herself. That's a really good point. Really, really good point.
0: Yeah. Um, So moving on with some more research here. This is pretty interesting,
1: actually. Helicopter parenting can apply at any age. I think we tend to think of it more um, as being with younger children, but it can happen with high school or college age students. Um, so take, for example, <clears throat> a parent who does something that the child is capable of doing alone, like calling and talking to high school teachers or um, a professor. Yee. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're in college, your mommy or daddy should Eww. not be calling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that actually,
0: another life example. See, I'm full of them. I love it. Um, I hope you guys like it too. <laughs> but so for my oldest, um, the neurotypical one. She really struggles a lot with this one teacher in particular in high school. So she's in grade 10. She had this teacher in grade 9, and she it was an English t- teacher. So she does have a learning disability. I say neurotypical because she doesn't have the developmental stuff, but she does have a learning disability with her um, English, right? So she does have, like, the Google Docs read and write and stuff. Not that she really uses it. I no. Think. She doesn't want to be different, so she doesn't really tend to use it at school. Although she does... Um, Use her phone a lot for writing, like not for screwing around in class, which I'm sure they probably do that too. But a lot of her teachers have this stuff on, um, like Google Docs, so she does a lot of the typing on her phone because she can actually type faster on her phone than on a keyboard With two nowadays. Thumbs. Yeah, That's
1: hilarious.
0: So, yeah, so she uses her phone a lot, which is actually, I'm gonna digress here a moment, but it's actually interesting because have you heard all the new Doug Ford changes that yep. are coming? Yeah, and one of them is. Um, to ban cell phones in class.
1: Yes. That'll be interesting. It'll
0: be very interesting. Yeah. And then, so, I was listening to that, and then it also says, but teachers will have the ultimate last say if they would like to let them use them. I'm pretty sure, now, try not to get political on this podcast, all <laughs> right? So don't, like, shoot me here, guys. But... It almost seems like they're just throwing that out to maybe take attention away from some of the other changes that they're implementing right now. Within within educational system or within a lo- in general? In general, because they're making a ton of changes across yeah, the no board, doubt. right? Yeah, no doubt, no um, doubt. Yeah, it's probably a tactic. But really, cell phones are already banned in most classes. Most cell phones are banned right and then the teacher gets to decide like so for tisha she has to put her cell phone in her locker Mm -hmm. when she gets to school Mm -hmm. and then there's certain times throughout the day that she gets to have breaks she can take her cell phone out and use it right and then cassie's using it to do google docs and like i said she's faster to type it on her phone so this whole the government saying it's banned just let the teachers decide they're already deciding for themselves right now yeah so
1: it's kind of kind of weird so anyways i digress (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But it yeah. seems strange that the that the government would focus on such a relatively small thing. Um, yeah, well, it's to take... The, make it a political thing. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just to take away from all the other yeah. changes,
0: especially yeah. in education they're doing right now. Anyways, so as to not get any more political, because it's not a political podcast, um, with this teacher in particular, with her English teacher, she struggled so much last year. So this year she saw that she had him again. And instead of... Us calling the school I and almost asked was, who is it? <laughs> you're mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to say. Um, but instead of us calling the school to be like, well, put her in another class. Yeah. We said to her, what, how do you want to do this? Right? Because yeah. you're not always going to like your boss. We've always equated teachers to being your boss. Yeah. Right? And yeah. the kids have really understood that, that you're not going to like your boss, so you may not like your teacher, but you've still got to suck it up and do school. Yeah. So she said that she talked to the, the guidance counselor herself and discussed that she may sometimes need to use the resource room during that period. She'll still do her work, but it's a way to compensate against that, you know, issue that instead of getting in a fight with the teacher or something. Mm-hmm. And again, the child is problem solving for themselves yeah. and given the chance. Yep. I am not about to call the school and be like, give her a different teacher. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, no. Right? Right. And not to say that we shouldn't call the school and have our kids back. There's definitely been times that I've called and be like, okay, look,
1: you need to make an accommodation right now. It's a fine right line, line, right? It's a fine yeah. line, particularly when you have a child who has a learning disability or a cognitive impairment or something. Exactly. It's a very fine line between yeah. helicoptering and just parenting. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to
0: figure it out for yourself. Yeah. There's no... yeah. There's nothing we can tell you that is going to be the be all and end
1: all. But ultimately, I mean, especially in college, you shouldn't be calling a professor. <laughs> I can't even. Uh, but me, me having you know been and you, yeah. Could you have imagined your mom calling your? No, no. no. my parents had no idea. Oh my god, what was going
0: on? Like especially in my program, I don't know what your program was like, but my program uh, originally went to school for corrections. And so my teacher was a correctional officer for years. So forget it. Yeah, he would. had no sympathy would, there, right? No, he would have had no sympathy. Ooh. He wouldn't. Have, he probably wouldn't have even taken the phone call. Ooh. To be honest, Ooh. he probably would have been like, "Nope,
1: hang up." Opposite of opposite of what you wanted, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, yeah, then you would have been like, "Oh no, now he hates me." Now more. he hates me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Uh, yeah. Um. So th- I think that's really interesting because yeah, it can happen at any age mm-hmm. and. Like you said, there, there's that fine line. So as a parent of a kid that has a
1: neurodiversity, how do you figure out where that line is? Trial and error, I think, at first. Yes. You also have to read the room. You have to, You have to. like, once you try your first couple of, oh, once you try your first couple of interventions, you have to, I think, try to mm, sort of get a sense for how the teacher, the principal, everybody's reacting to you. Yes. Yeah, right? Because so. if you're overparenting, I think there might be a little bit of pushback, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or like yeah. Get 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 that feeling. Some sort of vibe. Yeah. There'll be <clears> that <throat> look. Yeah. That
0: oh so that parent again. Which crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watch out for that mom. Yep. Or dad. Yep. Sorry, dads. <laughs> but usually it's mom, alright? Usually, yeah. Usually. Yeah. Um, so in toddlerhood, so um Dr. Dun's Dunswold. Dunswold, yes. Dunswald. Um, Said, in toddlerhood, a helicopter parent might constantly shadow the child, always playing with and directing their behavior, allowing them zero alone time. Now, especially in toddlerhood, there's that saying, if
1: my toddler is
0: being quiet, they're in trouble. There's a problem.
1: Yeah, there's a problem. I know that I was guilty of this with my son, but when my son was young, my mother actually passed away when he was four months old. And it was an unexpected illness. It was very quick and dramatic. Um, I had pe- uh, had postpartum with my son. I was kind of a crazy pants. Um, definitely, I was so anxious and afraid of everything, and it definitely played into my parenting. And so, this I think I was guilty of for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's other there's other there's factors that would come into play when it comes to helicopter parenting that don't all have to do with the fact that you're an obnoxious <laughs> parent. <laughs> no. <not laughs> right? There could be something else going on with you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, exactly, because we often project
0: our fears or anxieties on the kids because, um, and we said this before, we want what's best for them yeah. all the time, yeah. and we want them to not go through what we went through, the bad stuff that yeah. we went through. We want to shield them we from that. We want to save them, yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're trying to, we, we've already learned that mistake, so... We're just going to make sure they never experience it. We don't want them to suffer
1: like we did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. There, there's always a lot going on. And that's why, you know, we're not saying how to parent. We're just putting out the the concept yep. of. Yep. And that goes for anything that we do. It's the concept of. Yes. Um, And we're admitting when we do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for helicopter parenting, when it comes to, like, so toddlerhood starting there, I was probably a little bit, when like, Again, I don't think I really was, per se, a helicopter parent, and I'm putting little quotations up that you can't see. Um, but in toddlerhood would have been the time I would have done it a bit more. Yeah. Right. So because with Tish it was a lot of um, parallel playing. So mm-hmm. and in toddlers that's what they do. But it's as they get older, and that's where we could really see her social lacking. Yeah. Was that she was getting all, all the kids were getting older. And she was still content and happy to do parallel play when all the other kids were actually playing together. Yeah. I mean, now she's 12 and she wants to play with all her friends. Yeah. But at, you know, seven, eight years old, yeah. all everybody was starting to play together. And she was still, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm parallel playing. We're, we're playing together. But she was really just doing her own thing. Yeah. So at that point, it's kind of like, okay, I need to show her how to play with other kids because she didn't have that skill. So... The question that I'm posing then, that if you guys want to comment, you can, is that helicopter parenting, right?
1: Yeah. Or is it effective parenting? Yeah. yeah.
0: Right? Because <clears throat> when a child is lacking in a skill, such as the social skills area, we do need to teach them that skill. Yeah. Right? And I mean, I speak from a place of a, of a parent with a kid with autism. I can't speak for kids with other kinds of disabilities, but I'm assuming that it would be very similar. where it's almost like behavior therapy, right? Mm-hmm. We, we pay people a lot of money mm-hmm. to teach our kids how to take turns. Yeah, <laughs> We pay people a lot of money to teach them how to say please and thank you and ask nicely for something. That, to me, is not helicopter parenting. That is teaching them a skill that they are lacking, just like you would for any other child with a lacking skill. Yeah. It just is one that a lot of parents take for granted, that the kid will just automatically know how to take turns and play you know go fish or um wait in line patiently or lose um sportsman like yeah whereas for a lot of kids with disabilities those things aren't a given no so i,
1: I wouldn't call them helicopter parenting i would call that Effective parenting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> for most of us who do helicopter or who have helicopter parented, <laughs> we're not gonna probably see it in the moment. We're not gonna see it when we're doing it. We're probably mm-hmm. if somebody tells us we're helicopter parenting, we're probably gonna have a really good comeback. We're probably going to argue with that person. For me, it wasn't until doing this research that I was like, Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, you did big time. You did. But <clears throat> in my own defense, of course. Um a lot of it had to do with that crazy anxiety and fear that I had after having lost my mom. Uh, postpartum, for sure. And also just the knowledge that my son was different, like mm-hmm. you're saying. I knew he was different. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly trying to make up for lacks, yeah, Stuff like that. Anyway,
0: moving on. Um, so we talked about toddlerhood.
1: Let's talk about elementary school for mm-hmm. a little bit. You probably know these parents. You've seen these parents. They're probably the parents that you go, <clears throat> oh, it's a th- <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're the parent who wants to make sure their child has a certain teacher or coach. Um, they want to kind of select the kids' activities and friends. Um, and they provide way too much help with homework and school projects. Probably do them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think
0: I mentioned this on this podcast before that I used to get my mom to type my homework. Yes. yes. Okay. Because I have another podcast. Sometimes I forget. So. <laughs> and... But the thing was, I still did all the work myself. I hand-wrote all the work myself and then gave it to my mom. At the same time, um, as a parent now, I probably would have looked at my kid and go, there's the computer, go type it yourself. But did you have one? I thought you didn't have one. No, we had one. It was just like, it wasn't connected to any internet, anything like that. It
1: was like from the 80s. All right. Um, Did you have like a dot matrix printer? (laughs) Like, yes, that, that, that,
0: yes, that, <laughs> and the paper, you had to, like, take off the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little hole. So yeah. did yeah. I. Yeah, that yeah. was my
1: university computer. That's funny as hell.
0: Yeah. But, my, dad, my
1: dad still has it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but when I was younger, that was definitely not the kind of computer most of my <laughs> <parents> had. <laughs> <laughs> we still had DOS oh. on the computer, oh, oh. Right? So that was not the type of computer. Oh, it was not remote. hip. Yeah. 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 Most, you know, did you, 90s, did you have the printer? Yeah, but just, just that one, like you said, went... And you had to, like, take off the sides of it, and it was all um, perforated. Yes. Yes, yes. So it wasn't, like... the days, my friends. Yes. It wasn't <laughs> a typical one that you would have seen in, you know, mid-90s, late-90s. <laughs> and, and we didn't have no internet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so just helping out with your kids. Where, where do you draw that line yep. of helping with homework? Now, w- sometimes teachers give too much homework. Yep. Sometimes they give not enough. Tisha's <laughs> never had homework. Um, that's due to most of the classes that she's in, which was another thing we talked about while walking the dogs yesterday was, well, in a regular class, you're probably going to have homework. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. All right. She really, she really wants to she do really, it. She really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and I think a big thing when you're saying that, trying to select the child's friends. That's the one I struggle with. Really? Yes. I just wanted my son to have friends. <laughs> well, for, for, for a long time, it was just I wanted her to have friends. Yeah. But now that she's getting older and some of her friends are kind of bad influences. You're
1: like, <laughs> now, I know, like, that's now any parent's dilemma, eh? It
0: really is. So there's this one boy in particular in her class that um, she's not allowed to go over to his house. Because ultimately, I I know I cannot tell her to not be friends with him because yeah. they're just going to look at me and tell me to F off. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell her... That she can't go to his house. Because the one time she did go to his house, I called, made sure his parents were home, and then afterwards found out that they went out within 10 minutes of me having dropped her off. So they were alone, the kids? Yep. They were alone. They went and walked by the railroad tracks by themselves at like 6 o'clock at night in the winter. That's so it was awesome. dark. It's great. Yeah. So after I found that out, I was like, nope, not going back. There. Not going to happen. Nope. Um... So I really struggle with that one because I want her to have friends because it's yeah. not the easiest thing yeah. to make or to keep the friend. But if the friend is not going to be a good influence, yeah. oh, that, that one's hard for me. That yeah. one's so hard for me because I, I want her to make good choices and I know I need to let her to make those choices herself. Could you but... talk
1: to her about, like, have you said, um well she knows why she can't she knows why okay oh yeah i'm very very. that's probably all that i would do yeah i would just say "Mm -hmm." and then
0: i just try to remind her about the other friends that she has from daycare and stuff and i know those parents and even actually that one other friend who she seems like a really really nice girl um she wanted this friend it's a girl from her class she's uh two years younger than tisha and i told her okay well i don't I don't know her, I don't know her parents, so if she wants to come here, that's okay, but I don't want you going to her house until I've met her parents. Well, her parents said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's awesome, like, oh, I like you. That's perfect. Um, So we actually met up at a Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. so that we could all meet each other, and me and her mom would feel comfortable going to each other's houses. So I was like, that, okay, you, that's nice. you can totally be friends yeah. with her, I like her mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're very much the same. But again, it poses the question of, are we helicopter parenting or not? My opinion is no.
1: I know. Actually, in an upcoming uh, upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about the actual positives about helicopter parenting. Yes, exactly.
0: Because there's only that negative connotation, which yeah. this one's very negative, but yeah. that's what this one's all about. But yeah, yeah. There, there can be some good stuff from it, especially when your child
1: does lack certain skills. Your, that your you child's need to help falling with. through the cracks if it's not for you stepping in. Yep. Right? And over parenting yep. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we have four common triggers for why helicopter parenting happens. And then after that, we'll have to
0: say goodbye on this one, simply because we're coming close to the time already. Okay, so let's
1: kind of rush through this. So the first one is fear of dire consequences, which we've actually... Touched on. Yeah, I think we touched Um, on a lot of them. We did. We did, actually. Low grades, not making the team, whatever. Dr. uh, Deborah Gilboa, a founder of AskDoctorD.com, says many of the consequences parents are trying to prevent unhappiness, struggle, not excelling, are great teachers for kids and not actually life-threatening. It just feels that way. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think we've definitely touched on that a lot, that sometimes we need to breathe through our insecurities Mm -hmm. and let the child struggle a little not not to say struggle a lot but struggle that little bit yeah go through the ups and downs that is life that teaches us our good lessons and that's how we learn to problem solve Yep. um so the second one here feelings of anxiety which renata definitely touched on a lot which was awesome and we say thank you for sharing your truth about that one yeah you're welcome
1: actually what the doctor says here
0: yeah yeah
1: so i'll I'll just read it but
0: basically we, we she said it Worry, says Dr. Deitch. Yeah, Deitch. Uh, yeah, we're going to totally botch every name all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, worry can drive parents to take control in the belief that they can keep their child from um, ever being hurt or disappointed. Yeah. We can't. Right. <laughs> right? No. Like, that's the bottom line in life. There's going to be times that we're hurt, we're disappointed. And the other thing, too, is if you've, ne- if you've never been disappointed, then when you are disappointed,
1: how are you harder? gonna handle that? Yeah, how's that gonna be? Yeah, right. Um, number three, overcompensation. Adults who felt unloved, neglected, or ignored as children can overcompensate with their own children. Excessive attention and monitoring are attempts to remedy a deficiency that parents felt in their own upbringing. And for me, um, that's definitely true. I was the f- I was the youngest of four in a traditional a traditional Italian household, and my mother had actually was had had been the third of eight. Oh, wow! and so in her family the eldest took care of the youngest and the, the mother just did like my mom was a stay-at-home mom but she managed that house like yeah. she the house was always clean laundry cooking like it was all done all the time and so she I think she assumed that um my older siblings were parenting me and the truth was was that I was pretty much invisible mm, yeah. yeah so that's another another reason why I think I uh overcompensated
0: could yeah. be yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and the last one
0: here, peer pressure from other parents. Yeah, that's right? a big one. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one for me. Yeah. So, uh, so again, Dr. Dach says that sometimes when we observe other parents overparenting or being helicopter parents, mm-hmm. it will pressure us to do the same. Mm-hmm. We can easily feel that. I got to scroll. Sorry, guys. We can easily feel that if we don't immerse ourselves in our children's lives, we are bad parents. Guilt is a large component in this dynamic. I could totally see me falling for that too when my son was younger. Like, oh my gosh, she's doing that, I should do. I can yeah. see that. And I'm the opposite because I've, been, I've always been very self-assured with myself. Yeah. Um, no. Even when my insides feel like they're going to explode because I'm not self-assured on the outside. It appears. It appears that way because I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And this is a whole other issue that I'm working through with my own
1: therapist mm. because
0: we don't have to be perfect all the time. But in my mind, I have to be perfect all the time. So if I don't have the perfect answer, I just don't answer. So when somebody else is parenting and I'm like, mm, what the hell are yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel that guilt to do it. I actually, instead, I do the opposite where... In my head, I'm like, "Oh, they're stupid parents. They're horrible <laughs> parents. Why are they they shouldn't be doing that? They should be doing it my way." Like yes. and that's and there's no truth to that, yeah. like at all. Yeah. Right. Other than my crazy insecurities of myself, <laughs> really. But so I'm the opposite, where I am like, "Oh, why are they doing that?" Yeah. No. But it can go both ways, and that's just it. We need to admit our faults in order to grow from them and learn from them and move on.
1: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that is about all the time we have on mm-hmm. this podcast mm-hmm. So for this our, our next, um, we're going to continue with this topic. Yes, at some point. Uh, we will never guarantee Yeah, when. <laughs> We're going to talk about the consequences of helicopter parenting and should we touch on the positives and the negatives yeah like for that? sure okay. so we, that's we what we do next time yeah.
0: yeah yeah um and then of course as always if you would like to share your stories or have any questions for us you can send them to empowermentcoaches at gmail.com um as well as if you use the anchor app you can leave us voice messages which we can then either answer play on the podcast which would be so cool oh, that
1: would be fun i've never yeah. done that before but yeah. it'd be really
0: cool to to test it out um and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, mm-hmm. R2 Empowerment Coaches. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it. Bye. Thanks for joining us.